<laughs> wow. Don't you like getting stuck at Christmas? We've been talking about trying to get unstuck and not remaining stuck at Christmas. And I'm glad you're here for week two of our series. Have you ever used the phrase or, or heard the phrase, things are looking up? Things are looking up. You know what it means, right? It means that things are getting better, circumstances are improving, opportunities are increasing, problems are decreasing, things are looking up. Well, one of the things that we learned from the Christmas story is just the simple truth that things start looking up when we start looking up. The more we look up and focus our attention toward God, as opposed to the problems or the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the more those problems seem to get smaller. As God gets bigger, our problems get a little bit smaller. And so when we start looking up, things tend to start looking up for us. And we started this series last week, Stuck at Christmas, and we're talking about things that tend to get us stuck emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and especially around the holidays. It seems like holidays always bring this air of getting stuck somewhere and not really experiencing all that the holidays could bring uh, because we feel like we're stuck. And we started last week and we talked about the Christmas, the Christmas story is not so much about a silent night, you know, as we sing the song Silent Night, it's not so much about a silent night as much as it is about how God interrupted 400 years of silent nights when he brought joy into the world. God interrupted a period of time where he had been silent for 400 years. And, and, and during that time, there were no prophets speaking on behalf of God. There were no books of the Bible being written. It was just like God had gone silent. And I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced that time where it seems like God is just silent. You might pray and you don't really hear anything and you wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? And we kind of talked about it last week. What does God do in the silence? And what are we supposed to do in the silence? And what we said is the bottom line of last week is that we're never to confuse God's silence with his absence. That just because we don't hear from God, just because God seems to be silent doesn't mean that he's absent. And it definitely doesn't mean that he's inactive, that he's constantly working, he's constantly doing things. Even in the times where he seems silent, he's constantly working for his glory and for our good. And so that we can trust during those times and if we will lean into, into him and trust him during those difficult times, those, or those apparent silent times, that what we'll experience on the other side of that, it may be something that's raw and messy but real and beautiful, this relationship that begins to develop as we trust and our faith grows more and more. And today, as we continue the series, we're gonna talk about what do you do when you feel stuck in the shattered dreams of your life? You've got dreams, you've got plans, you've got hopes, and all of a sudden something takes place that just shatters those dreams. And many times that's a reason for us to get stuck when the holidays come around and it's just magnified of how stuck we are because of these shattered dreams. What do you do during those times? How do you, how do you deal with the shattered dreams of your life? Well, you go back to the truth that we said at the beginning of the, the day's talk where things begin to look up when we start looking up. That the more we can focus our attention toward God and the bigness of who God is, even our shattered dreams become a little smaller and he gives us the ability and the strength and the capacity to actually walk through those times and maybe even 
if we trust him, maybe even learn some things about ourselves and see our faith grow in the process. And the Bible uses the phrase over and over again that really talks about, um, you know, things looking up. The Bible's phrase is lift your eyes. And over and over again, you see this, this, this phrase in the Old Testament and the New Testament, lift your eyes, lift your eyes. In other words, the, 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 the writers of the scripture are saying, get your eyes off of the circumstances of your life, off the problems of your life and lift them up to heaven. Begin to see who God is and how big God is. And again, as we do that, our hope increases and our problems, the magnitude of our problems seem to decrease. Now, I don't know what you bring in here today with you, but I know this. I know there's, with a, gr a group this size, there's gotta be people that you're feeling a sense of grief. You're feeling a sense of worry, anxiety. You're walking through some painful situations in your life. Or maybe the holidays magnify a painful situation that you've gone through. You're brokenhearted. You've had shattered dreams. And maybe you're just trying to hang on. Maybe you came today just to get out of the house because sitting at the house made it worse. What do you do? How do you walk through those? See, I think the story of Christmas begins to teach us that when we want to give up, we need to look up. When the things of this world, the things of our life are so painful and so difficult and we're ready just to give up, those are the times, specifically those times, when we need to look up and focus our attention on who God is. Now, the story of Christmas, we see this really illustrated in this couple, this young couple uh, the lady is a, a virgin, is a young teenage girl who's pledged to be married to a guy. Their names are Mary and Joseph. And Mary becomes the, the mother of the Son of God. And, and, and we find in their life this whole aspect of fear, anxiety, worry, um, grief, shattered dreams, broken heart, all wrapped up in the first Christmas. Now, a lot of times we get this idea of, of Christmas, especially that first Christmas, and because of songs and, you know, different art, artist renderings and things like that, we get this kind of romanticized and idealized kind of picture of that first Christmas, right? Like, like here's full-term pregnant Mary, who's traveled hundreds of miles from Nazareth uh, to down to Bethlehem because of a census that was being taken. And she just kind of gets there to, to Bethlehem, you know, slides down off the donkey, refreshed from the journey uh, on this luxury, luxurious donkey that she'd been riding. And, and when they get there, of course, there was no room in the hotel, no room in the inn. We, we, we read that in the scripture, but there were five-star accommodations out in the barnyard bungalow. And so they, you know, out there in this bungalow, that's where the animals never make any noises. And if they have to relieve themselves, they excuse themselves, go out of the barn, do that somewhere else, come back in. And everything is wonderful there. Uh, she's about to give birth there in the barnyard bungalow with, with no OB gin there. And so, but everything's fine. There's no worry. There's no concern because she's got Joseph who knows um, a lot about what he's doing. And so, Everything's going well. And then she gives birth, which, which essentially was because it's, it's a son of God. It wasn't like an, any other normal birth, right? She practically just sneezed and he came out and he was smiling and happy and never had any needs. And, and, and then, you know, unbeknownst to them, some well-dressed, well-mannered shepherds showed up 
and, and they were just there to pay their respects and just, you know, honor Jesus. And so then, you know, the shepherds along with Mary and Joseph and all the animals, they stand around and worship and there's pixie dust in the air and everything's wonderful and beautiful. And that's this idea of Christmas, this first Christmas we have. And nothing could be further from the truth. That this first Christmas was wrapped in turmoil, in heartache, in worry, uh, all kinds of brokenheartedness going around. I mean, this thing was a mess. And so I would caution you not to be too quick to romanticize this thing too much. Because in the process, we can find some answers for us as we walk through some really difficult times in our lives. And I want to look at this couple. We'll start with Mary. And I want us to see her reaction because Mary is told by an angel of the Lord that she is going to have the Son of God. Now, at first, you got to think, wow. I'm sure Mary was like, me? You know, this is awesome. This is incredible. Well, not so much. Here's what it says in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. And this is interesting. Luke does this. Luke is not Jewish, uh, but Luke is, is a, a doctor. He's very meticulous in his writing. He's very detail-oriented because he wants people to be able to fact-check him. All right? As you travel through history, you can go and see that this is, you know, historically accurate, the time that he talks about, the people who were in charge that were governing the land, all of that. He wants them to be able to fact-check. And so he writes this detailed information, not so that Gabriel isn't confused on which house to go to. It's not so he shows up, you know, knocks on the door and is like, no, I'm Larry. Mary lives a couple doors now. No, it's not that. He's writing it for us so that we can look and know exactly when the time was that, that, that Jesus and the birth took place. We can fact check all of those things. He says in the village uh, in Galilee uh, from Nazareth, virgin named Mary, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. That's very important because Jesus was in the lineage of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now just imagine an angel showing up and saying that to you. Greetings, favored woman or man or whatever, the Lord is with you. Now how wonderful would that be, right? And you gotta imagine that Mary receives this news, you know, Lord is with you favored woman and she's like me Mary well thank you very much and that's not exactly what it says the very next verse says confused and disturbed Mary tried to think what the angel could mean what do you mean why are you here and it's interesting that every time an angel shows up and talks to people this very next phrase gets said every single time don't be afraid why does he say that because they're always afraid and you would be too if an angel just shows up all of a sudden and starts talking to you don't be afraid Mary the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary said, wonderful, let's get started. No way. First of all, she's a teenager and she's like, so like, well, like, how's like? And, 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 and <laughs> maybe that's just my teenager, but, but she's, she's got all kinds of questions and you would too. She's like, 
wait, what? How, 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 wait, I'm a virgin. How is this even going to happen? I mean, what, I'm pregnant? No, what is Joseph going, what are my family's going, what are my parents going to say? What are my friends going to say? I can't do this. Nope, uh-uh. Maybe you were looking for Larry. This is Mary. I can't do this, right? She's just filled with questions. This is not some, oh, okay, wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad to do it. No, it says she was disturbed, confused, worried. How is this going to happen? Why me? This is not some privilege opportunity. This is a death sentence. I love this man. He's not going to stay with me. He's not going to believe this. Why is this happening to me? Filled with questions, disturbed, confused, worried, and I think you would be too. Well, that's her initial reaction. What about Joseph? Joseph has to get the word that his fiance is pregnant and he knows he hadn't been with her. But I mean, it's all good because it's God that did it. So no problem, right? The gospel of Matthew chapter one, we read about his reaction. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, in other words, before they had sex, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, now this is interesting here, it just says she was pledged to be married and now it's calling Joseph her husband. Well, what you have to understand is in that, in that particular day, to be engaged essentially meant you were married. I mean, you couldn't just get out of the engagement. You couldn't just say, hey, the caterer's not working out, so let's call the thing off. You couldn't do that. To actually get out of an engagement at this particular time, you had to actually write a certificate of divorce to get out. They, they, they viewed it in such high regard that you couldn't just break off an engagement. So essentially, for all practical purposes, he was her husband, unless some kind of divorce took place that caused him not to go through with the wedding. And said, so uh, before, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he still has to divorce her. Imagine Joseph, he gets this news. Here's the lady that he loves. Here's the lady that he has been looking forward to being with the rest of his life. He, he's engaged to her. He's making all the, the preparations and the plans to be her husband, to establish a family, to grow old together. And he's getting this news. He is hurt. He's brokenhearted. Now he's not going to be able to be with the woman that he loves because under the law, she's under God's judgment. And if he goes through with the marriage, he's going to be under God's judgment. He can't do that. His reputation won't allow for that either. He's a man that loves the law. He's well-respected in the community. 
and his fiancee is pregnant. His hopes, his dreams, dashed. So his reaction was not wonderful. That's awesome. Well, congratulations, Mary. You know, no, 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 no. It was just the opposite. He's hurting. He's devastated. See, I don't know, again, you may be struggling with things that are devastating today. You may be grieving. You may be carrying burdens right now that no one knows about, but they're so heavy. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're disturbed. Maybe you're brokenhearted. What do you do with that? Now, how do you continue on when you're carrying that kind of thing? When you're dealing with this kind of issue, when you're stuck in this way, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally, what do you do? Well, I think as we continue to look at their lives, when we look at the story of the Christmas story and Mary and Joseph, and what they actually did, I think we can do what they did. And you'll see how it changed. See, what they did and what we understand from them is when their focus changed, their feelings changed as well. See, they no longer, they reached a place where they decided, you know what, I can't continue to look down. I need to look up. And if things are ever going to look up in this situation, it's going to be because I start looking up and not continue to focus on all these things that are, I can't answer. I don't, I, I, I can't figure out. And all these problems, the longer I look at them, the bigger they get. And the more my heart is broken, the more confused and worried I am. And I don't have answers to all these questions. So I need to start looking up. And as they began to look up, as their focus changed from their problems to God's plan and God's promises, well, their feelings soon followed. And this feeling of being worried and disturbed, this feeling of being brokenhearted and hurt, all of those things began to change as their focus began to change. So when you take Mary, everything changed for Mary when she began to focus on God's promises. As opposed to the problems, as opposed to all the issues, everything began to change for her when she began to focus completely on the promises that God had made. And we find those, continue on in the chapter one of the Gospel of Luke. And we begin to see some of this change taking place. In, in chapter 1, verse 37 and 38, it says, The angel told Mary, nothing you see is impossible with God. Mary, I know you got a lot of questions. Rightly so. This has never happened before. Okay? So I'm sure you have a ton of questions, but you need to understand at the end of all of your questions, nothing is impossible with God. Whatever you're going through, the more you trust in him, I'm telling you that nothing is impossible with him. And here's what it says. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. That's a change of perspective. I'm no longer focusing on all of these things that I can't answer. Now I'm focusing on a God that nothing is impossible with. And so now as I look at my situation, I can see nothing is impossible with God. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. I just want to be a part of his plan. And so that's what Mary says. It says, so let it be, let it be with me just as you say. I am the Lord's maid or Lord's servant ready to serve. 
She wasn't there originally. She wasn't there saying, you know, when the, the announcement first came, well, yeah, absolutely. Honored to be here. Honored to do it. Sure, let's get started. How do we do this? No, that wasn't the attitude at all. But as the angel began to show her and she began to understand the promises of God and that nothing is impossible, well, she focused on those things and her feelings began to change. And then her perspective began to change. And now she's sitting back going, you know what? I see it. And if God wants to do this through me, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to be used however God wants to. She prays this incredible prayer that's recorded in Luke chapter one. And it's filled with all of these promises from scripture that she prays about herself and about God, affirming those promises. And then she says this in verse 48, God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. Is that a different perspective? That's a lot different than where she started out. Whoa, I'm a virgin. How's this going to happen? Don't think I want to be a part of it. And now she's a place going, God looked at me and said, I'm going to do this through you. I, I'm the most fortunate woman that's ever lived. I'm the most blessed person that's ever lived. That is a complete change of attitude. And it's because once her focus changed, her feelings began to change. And it's true for us as well. That no matter what you're going through in your life, the more you focus on those problems, the deeper you will get in that sense of despair and hurt and heartache. But the more you begin to focus on the bigness of who God is and his promises, it's not like the problems all go away. It's not like the questions all get answered all at once. But the problems cease to be as big as they were. And hope begins to rise. In fact, she starts celebrating so much so that her celebration changed the hearts of people around her. Here's what it says in verse 58. Her neighbors and her relatives, seeing that God had overwhelmed her with mercy, celebrated with her. She went from confusion to celebration and her celebration created celebration among the people that were around her, her neighbors, her relatives. See, when our focus changes and our feelings begin to change, those feelings can influence the people around us as well. As we celebrate God's promises, they begin to celebrate God's promises too. Well, that was Mary, Joseph, he had to begin to change as well. He had to begin to focus more really on God's plan and God's purpose. And see, everything changed for Joseph when he began focusing on God's plan, God's purposes as opposed to his own plan. And we talked about, and he said just a moment ago that, that, that the angel came to him and said, I mean, Mary came to him and said, I'm pregnant. Now, just imagine that bomb being dropped in your lap. Hey, you know, I know we hadn't been together and I'm just telling you right now, I hadn't been with another man, but God has caused me to be pregnant. That is just hard to swallow. And we know, we know that Joseph is a, is a the, most scholars will agree, was a, was a pretty righteous man. He, he really loved the law. And it, this is what it says in Matthew and continuing on in Matthew chapter one. It said, but after he had considered this, 
So here's, what, here's Joseph. He's considering these things. He's mulling these things over. He's not sure what to do. He knows the law. And in fact, the law of God that he loves, that he follows, the law of God stated that if a virgin is found to be pregnant out of wedlock, that she and the guy that impregnated her to be stoned to death outside the city gates. It's a little harsh. And so he knows this. He knows the law. He knows that in God's sight, she is, you know, she's really kind of tainted goods now. He, he loves her, but he can't marry her anymore because this baby is not his. So what is he to do? He's trying to think about having to divorce her quietly because he loves her. He doesn't want to put her into public disgrace, but he can't be with her. And the angel comes, he's been mulling it over. The angel, angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, I understand what you're thinking. And you know what? You could stand on your reasoning and be justified and be right. To divorce her, that's, the, that's what you have as a legal right to do and you would be justified in doing it. But in doing that, you might miss out on a bigger plan that God has and a bigger purpose that God has. See, there, there are times that we can look at our situation and we can be justified. We, we got God kind of in a box. We figured God out and we can be justified in doing what we're doing. Everything's right. I'm right. I'm standing on being right. And yet God might say, yeah, while you're justified in doing what you're doing, you might miss out on something bigger if you don't listen if you don't follow my leadership. See, you might have that business deal coming up. Everything looks right. You can do what you're planning to do. There's nothing wrong with it. But you might just have this gnawing on the inside where it's just God saying, yeah, but don't do it. Don't do it. But why? Everything's right about it. This is gonna go through, this is gonna happen. There's nothing wrong, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't do it. Because in doing it, yeah, you might do the business deal and it might go through just like what you want, but you might miss out on something bigger by not listening to me. Don't do it. Maybe you feel justified in leaving your spouse because your spouse has been unfaithful justified he or she has done this and yet you have this gnawing feeling on the inside that God is saying don't do it show mercy instead of judgment you're justified sure but maybe there's something bigger maybe there's something bigger that God will do out of this don't do it. 
Maybe you're tempted to call that particular side of your family that's planning to come to your house this year for Christmas, that side of the family that always brings their problems. And you're wanting to call them and you'd be completely justified in calling them and saying, you know what, why don't you leave your ho-ho happy attitude, critical attitude at your house and don't come to my house this year. And I don't want it. I don't want you there. You would be justified in doing that. But God might be saying to your spirit, hey, this year show some patience. This year show a level of love that you really don't have on your own. I'll have to give to you. But it might, it might be something bigger than just being justified in doing what you know. See, when we have God in a box and we have all our clear reasoning, all our justification, sometimes we miss out on something that God wants to do that's so much bigger. If we don't listen, that's why the verse in Proverbs says, Proverbs chapter 19 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. That we always have our plans and man, we just do this, do that and we can figure it all out because we're pretty smart, we're pretty slick, we know how to do it and we know God and we can figure all these things out and yet God says I have a purpose and it's bigger than your plans and if you don't listen to me, you're going to miss out on something huge and sometimes we listen, sometimes we don't. The angel of the Lord said, I know what you're thinking, Joseph, and you're justified don't do it because by doing it, you're going to miss out on something incredible, incredible. Because the scripture talks about that Joseph did everything that the angel had commanded. The angel continued on and said, listen, I want you to take Mary, make her your wife. You're going to give birth to the son and name him Jesus. He will say to people from sins, this all is happening to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said 700 years ago, that this virgin will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it says in the scripture in Matthew chapter one, it says that Joseph did everything the, the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took Mary home, made her his wife. The angel also told him, and don't sleep with her until this child is born. Don't consummate your marriage until after this child is born. And it says that he waited until Jesus was born before he ever consummated the marriage. He did everything that was asked of him. And what's amazing is what was being asked of Joseph is to set aside your pride for God's purpose. Set aside your plans for God's plans. Be willing to give of yourself, sacrifice all of you for this child that's not even yours. Sacrifice all that you have to ensure the salvation of all of us. That's what he was being asked to do. And he did it. He did all of it. And the truth that comes out of that, really the bottom line of today is that when we surrender our dreams to his plan, he comes to live with us. See, Joseph surrendered all of his dreams, those broken, shattered dreams. He surrendered them all to God's plan. And at the end of that, 
There was Emmanuel, God with us. God came to reside with them. And it's true of us that when we reach this place where we say, God, your plans are bigger than mine. While my dreams are shattered, my heart is broken. Your purposes that you have and the plans that you have are so much greater. And the more surrendered we live to those plans and those purposes, the more we sense the presence of God in our life. And the more it allows us to walk through difficult situations and not give up in the process. So what are you to do? What what are you to do if you're here today and you're going through all of this and you feel stuck? What are you to do? Let me give you two things to think about. Number one, I would tell you, trust God's purpose even when you hate the plan. Trust God's purpose even if you hate God's plan. See, God's big enough to know that we don't have to sit back and go, oh yeah, I love this plan, God. God's not dumb. He knows your heart. God knows you're lying through your teeth. So just be honest with him. God, I hate this plan. This plan sucks. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But you know what? I trust your purpose more. I trust you more. I trust your character more. And I don't know why this plan is happening the way it is. And I don't know why I'm living with a broken heart. I don't know why my dreams are shattered. I don't know why all these things, I don't know why I'm so worried and anxious. I don't know why all these things are happening and how I'm gonna explain these things. I don't know any of those things, but God, I trust you. And I trust that you have a purpose in mind. And so even when you hate the plan, trust who God is and trust his purpose. And I tell you the second thing to consider, interpret your circumstances through God's goodness. See, too often we do just the opposite, don't we? We interpret whether or not God is good by our circumstances. We're going through something difficult in life and we look at those circumstances and we begin to say, God, if you are good, why are you allowing this to happen? If you're so good and so loving, why, why, how would you allow this? And we began interpreting God's character, God's goodness, all of those things through our circumstances. And I would encourage you to flip that and constantly view your circumstances through the fact that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He is good yesterday. He is good today. He will be good forever. We don't have God, the good, the bad, the ugly. We have the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You see, see when, when you're in trouble and when you're going through something, I pray. I pray for you. When I'm in trouble and I'm going through something, I doubt. Isn't that how we do it? Oh, you're going through this? Let me pray for you. Oh, God, we believe you. You know, when I'm going through it, no, no, somebody better pray for me because I'm doubting it. See, God knows all that. God knows all that. But I'm telling you, God is the same. When you're praying for someone else and you're believing those things on behalf of someone else, he's the same 
It's when you're going through it. And I would just encourage you to interpret those times in your life through the lens that God is good and God loves you and God wants the best for you. And everything he does is for his glory and for your good. And the more we trust that, the easier it is to walk through some of these times. I'm not saying it's easy. The easier it is. When we begin to look up, things begin to look up. And when our focus changes, our feelings begin to change as well. And whatever shattered dreams and brokenhearted moments you're going through today, my hope and my prayer is that you would view all of that through the lens that God is good and he loves you. And he wants the absolute best for your life. Let me pray for us, okay?